Okay. okay, good morning, everyone. Welcome. I don't know about you, but it, it feels like you're in a slightly raucous mood this morning, which is not a bad thing, which is not a bad thing. If you haven't met me, my name is Stuart. I'm the leader of the church here. Very warm welcome uh, to you today, particularly those who've wrapped up warm with a leopard print onesie they happen to be wearing down the front here. Um, I don't know about you, um, what your life's been like over the last few weeks. Mine has been somewhat uneven because uh, we had COVID in our house a couple of weeks back. My wife had it. Uh, my youngest son had it. Me and my other son didn't get it. We got out of kind of our isolation period. We sent our youngest son back to school thinking, thank goodness he can go back to school. We got a phone call from the school that afternoon saying they're closing his entire year group and two other year groups in the school. And so we've had him back at home this week, completely healthy, completely fine. Um, and so it's been a fun three weeks. I love my children, but they need to go to school. Um, <laughs> so so that's, that's been our family uh, this week. Hands up here if you've had COVID or COVID in your home. Yeah, yeah, okay. I'm sorry, but that seems to be the way it is um, at the moment. All right, what we're going to do today, well, today, we're going to do two things. We're going to finish two things today. We're going to finish two things. The first thing is we're going to finish the well-being journey, which we've been working together through in life groups. It officially ends, well, technically tomorrow, because we've done the seven weeks, but if you do the book, there's one extra day, day 50, which is tomorrow morning. Um, and we've gone through that in your life groups. I know some life groups are kind of a week behind because of things happening. That's fine. Finish it off um, as soon as you can and get it done um, because it's so helpful to you and um, what, what you can learn about how God works in your life and all the areas. And we've been processing a whole bunch of things. So please uh, take time uh, to do that if you haven't finished working through that. And then we've got time. We've got two days. And then December starts on Wednesday. I think is the 1st of December, Wednesday, um, and we've obviously given out some Advent devotionals some of you have taken. We've put one out as a church that you can do as a family, Menly wrote it, um, so there's that starting Wednesday, so hey, please have a look at that. It's gone out on emails, it's gone out on social media and stuff, so please have a look at that. This week is Church at Prayer, we're going to be praying into all our Christmas stuff, come and join us online for that. Uh, we're going to pray for an hour. Um, and that's going to be a great time, so please just plug into that in what we're doing. So we're finishing the well-being journey today. The second thing we're going to finish is our sermon series, Well With My Soul. Well With My Soul, looking at the life of Elijah. It's the last week today. If you've missed any of them, you can catch up online. They're all on our website. And in this series, we've been following along the life of Elijah, um, a great Old Testament prophet. And we've seen him being, uh, he was in Israel at the time, and the kingdom of Israel at that time was not going well. It was, it had forsaken the worship of the one true God of Israel, and it had gone after false gods, particularly one named Baal. Um, and Elijah was this prophet, and he was the lone voice there. He was the one who was standing there saying, no, you should not worship Baal, you should worship the Lord. And he faced opposition and hardship, and we saw him, he went to a place of obscurity, at the brook Kerith, we saw him go to a place of lack and mirac then miraculous provision at Zarephath. We saw a place of confrontation and victory on Mount Carmel. Uh, we saw him in a place of despair when his life was threatened and he effectively went on the run. We saw him in a place of encounter where he met the Lord on Mount Horeb and had that dynamic encounter with God which transformed his life. And then we see him confronting evil and injustice in the highest um, echelons of Israel's authority structure. And all the way through, we've seen God's hand on him. 
God being gracious and leading him and fulfilling his purposes in bringing the nation of Israel back to the worship of the one true God. And we've also seen throughout this story how Elijah ultimately points forward to Jesus. Jesus is the one that we should always get to at the end of it, and Jesus is a better Elijah. He is the great prophet. He is the one who's come to save all people and bring them back to the worship of the one true God. And today, we're going to look at the final part of Elijah's life. So if you've got a uh, Bible, you can go to 2 Kings uh, chapter 2, 2 Kings chapter 2, and we're just going to work through the first few verses of um, 2 Kings chapter 2. And the big idea for this morning is those who are faithful, sorry, those who faithfully follow the Lord will enter glory. Those who faithfully follow the Lord will enter glory. Now, before we read, I just want to give a little bit of background, and that is because in this passage, we're not just going to meet Elijah, we're going to meet another character called Elisha. And Elijah and Elisha sound very similar, so forgive me if I get muddled today as I'm going through it, but Elijah is the one we've been following, and Elisha is a character who we met briefly back in 1 Kings 19 where the Lord met Elijah on the mountain and he said to him, you have to go and anoint Elisha as your successor. He's going to take over from you. But then Elisha then disappears. We haven't seen him since. He now comes back into the story. Um, and so we don't know how, what's going to happen. Sorry, no, we know what's going to happen. We don't know how it's going to happen. Elisha is going to take over from Elijah. We just don't know quite how that's going to happen. It's been, it's been hinted at a few chapters before, and now we're into the position where the, the author is going to reveal it to us. So we're going to go through this passage. We're going to look at three things. We're going to look at Elijah's journey, Elijah's departure, and then Elijah's legacy. First bit, Elijah's journey, verses 1 to 8. It says this, 2 Kings 2, verse 1. Now, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind... First, first point, spoiler, spoiler, we, he just told us how the thing's going to end, there's going to be a whirlwind and Elijah is going to go up to heaven, so we know where this passage is, uh, is heading, there's a, an anticipation there that the author said, right, this is going to be the end, the end is going to be the spectacular cool bit, look out for that, it's coming, and so he's going to be taken up into a, um, heaven by a whirlwind. And then it says, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Okay, what's the point of that? Gilgal was a town in uh, Israel, in the northern kingdom at the time. And it's significant because if we go back to the book of Joshua, which we studied as a church, Gilgal was a place where when the people of Israel entered the promised land, they consecrated themselves to the Lord at Gilgal. That was a place where they made a solemn vow to be the people of God, to worship God, and to be his and worship him alone. And that took place at Gilgal. And that will become significant as we go through the passage and look at other places they went. So it says there, verse 2, And Elijah said to Elisha, Please stay here. For the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elijah said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So, for the first time um, in the passage, Elisha says to Elijah, other way around, Elijah, I told you I get muddled, Elijah says to Elisha, stay here, leave me. Now, there's no reason, we've got not given a reason of why he does that, but this isn't, he says it several times through the passage. The, the thing we can surmise for that is Elijah is attesting Elijah, Elisha, saying, what's his resolve? Is he going to persevere? Is he going to keep going? If he's going to be my successor, he needs to have a bit of grit about him, because if we know from the life of Elijah, he goes through many highs that we remember, and they're really cool, 
raises the dead and miraculous provision and fire falls from heaven on several occasions. But actually, there's many hardships. And if you're going to follow the Lord, you need to be able to keep going. You need to persevere. And so basically, Elijah gives him the out. If you can stay here, I'm, going to, I'm going on. I'm going to go on. The end is coming, but I'm going on. And Elijah says to him, uh, Elijah says to him, I will not leave you. And the words there are almost the exact same words. And if you go back to the book of Ruth, which we've also studied as a church, there's a bit where Naomi says to Ruth, you stay here in your land. I'm going back uh, to my home in Israel. And uh, Ruth, who was a foreigner, said, no, I will not leave you. I will go with you. I will stay with you. Your God will be my God. And if you follow the story of Ruth, it has a spectacular, wonderful ending on that story. And so Elisha has that same spirit. I'm not leaving you, Elijah. I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to stay with you. And we read on. It says, so they came down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophet who were in Bethel came out to Elijah. So Bethel is uh, the second place we hear about. Now, what's the significance of Bethel? Uh, The significance of Bethel is Bethel is a place of sin. It is a place where Jeroboam, who we've kind of talked about, who sort of began the northern kingdom when it split, he rejected the worship of God in Jerusalem at the temple where he should have been going, and he set up golden calves. If you know anything about Israel's history, as soon as a golden calf appears, bad. But he set it up in Bethel and told the people of Israel, you go worship there, you don't go to Jerusalem because there was this separation. So it was a place of sin, it was a place of false worship, and it is also known by another name. Bethel was also known by a name called Ai. And if you read which book? Joshua, gone back to Joshua, there was a town called Ai that was opposed to the Lord, and that was against the Lord, and it was destroyed by Joshua and his army. And so it was a place of judgment, it was a place of sin. And in that city, we find this other weird phrase, the sons of the prophets. Your translation might say schools of the prophets, company of the prophets, group of prophets. What's these? Now, these have been referred to in 1 Kings 20, and they will pop up again if you carry on reading through 2 Kings. And basically, they're a group of faithful Israelites who worship the Lord, want to follow the Lord, and they've sprung up as a result of Elijah's ministry. So Elijah was originally the lone voice in the land proclaiming you must worship the God of Israel. And since his ministry has gone on over the years and he's confronted the kings, uh, Ahab and then Ahaziah, others have decided, they've come and said, yes, we're going to follow the Lord too. We're going to do it. And so what we've got here is almost like a little church plant in this city. This city of a place of false worship and there's a group of believers in that city who are worshipping the Lord. And it seems that Elijah and Elisha are heading there to see this group. And they come out to Elijah. And what do they say to him? He says, do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he said, yes, I know it. Keep quiet. And so they obviously have got the inside track. They're obviously praying and they're hearing from God. And they too know that Elijah's time is drawing very short. And they go to Elijah, who is his, like a, his apprentice, his assistant, has been with him for years, and say, are you aware of what's going on? And Elijah's like, yes, I'm aware, but I don't want to talk about it. And this probably because Elisha was processing what it meant to lose his mentor, lose his master, um, going through grief at that time. And he's like, nope, not interested, don't want to talk about it at this stage. We read on, verse 4. Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The sons of prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from you? And he answered, Yes, I know it. Keep quiet. So we've got a repetition of events here. 
First thing is he comes to Jericho. What do we know about Jericho? Well, from the book of Joshua, Jericho was a city opposed to the people of God, and it was the first place that they came to as they crossed the River Jordan, and they went into the land, and there was Jericho, and this is great mighty city. What happened to Jericho? It was destroyed. And not only was it destroyed on God's judgment, it was then cursed by Joshua, saying no one will rebuild this city. And if they do rebuild this city, they're going to lose their firstborn son, and they're going to lose their youngest son. And so it was a place that was cursed by God. But then what we read at the beginning of, this, um, of our series was in 1 Kings 16, who rebuilt it? Ahab, that evil king. Who, he, he said, we're going to rebuild Jericho. So it's been rebuilt. The curse came about. The guy who did it lost his, two of his children. And so they come to Jericho, which is another place of false worship, another place of judgment, another place of sin. But what we find there, there are more sons of the prophets. There are more believers who sprung up there, another kind of church plant in that area. Saying there are people there who are saying, we love the Lord, we want to serve the Lord. And Elisha was going uh, to see them. But then they come to Elijah. Sorry, Elisha. You don't get that wrong. They come to Elijah and say, your master's going to go. Your master's going to die. Do you know? And Elisha's again like, yes, I know. Shush. Still processing it. So we're having this process, but they've gone from Gilgal to Bethel to Jericho. Let's read on. Verse 6, I think we're at now. Then Elijah said to him, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance from them as they were both standing by the Jordan. So, what we've got here, he's got the third time now, Elisha, Elijah is saying to Elisha, you can go. You don't have to go through this with me. You don't have to carry on. And the final time, Elijah says, no, I'm with you. I'm going to stay with you. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to follow the Lord. I'm going to persevere. I am not going to quit. He has a resolute commitment to his calling and what God's asking him to do, no matter how difficult it will be. And so they come to the Jordan River, and they are followed. I don't know how you get followed by 50 people surreptitiously. So they're obviously left Jericho. They're wandering out, the two of them. You know, on their way to the Jordan River, and there are 50 people, or maybe they're just, you know, kind of following, like, oh, we just, we just happen to be out for a walk together as this group. So they're kind of, they're hovering behind them, following them, and their presence will become relevant later on. But it must have been strange for Elijah and Elisha, like, are they, are they following us? Are you sure? Because they're just there, all 50 of them out for a walk in the day. But that's what's happened. And they come to the Jordan River. So what is significant about the Jordan River? Well, if we go back to the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 3, what happened when the people of God were going to come to the promised land? They came to the barrier of the Jordan River, and they were all there. And God parted the river miraculously. They all crossed, and then the river closed up behind them. So it was the point of entry for the people of God into their uh, calling of taking the land that God had promised to Abraham. And then they were fulfilling that in the book of Joshua. So that's where they've come to now. So they've gone from Gilgal to Bethel to Jericho to the river Jordan. And it says in verse 8, Then Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up and struck the water, and the water was parted to the one side and to the other till the two of them could go over on dry ground. Okay, so the river parting is reminiscent of what happened in Joshua, where they uh, we opened the river, and Mo, Elijah there is also mimicking Moses because he took his cloak and rolled it up into a rod, a staff. And what happened with Moses when he faced the Red Sea? What did God say? Do 
go strike it with your rod. And what happened? The sea parted. And so he's fulfilling that. And so what we've got is the parting of the River Jordan and they cross to the other side. So let's just summary of this journey. So they've gone from Gilgal to Bethel to Jericho to the River Jordan. And what this does is basically reenacts Joshua's chapter 1 to 8 of Israel's conquest of the promised land, taking the land that God had given them to them. And what it does is it does two things. It looks backwards and it looks forwards. One, it looks backwards to the fact that how far Israel had fallen. When Israel took the promised land under Joshua, Moses had just died, God was with them, and they moved into the proper land, and he was with them. And they took the territory that God had given them. They'd consecrated themselves to the Lord. He parted the river. They took Jericho. They then defeated Ai. And it was, it's, a, it's a journey of their conquest. But what we've got now here is the journey is going backwards because Israel have fallen from their position of the people of God who worship the one true God. They no longer worship the Lord. They worship Baal. Their kings worship Baal. Their kings encourage the worship of Baal and persecute the prophets of the Lord. And what we have is a reverse conquest. Effectively, it's the, it's the people of God leaving the land because God is not worshipped there anymore. And just like they drove out the Canaanites and their abhorrent worship, now the Canaanite worship has come back in the form of worship of Baal. And the worship of God is the one that's being driven out of the land. So under the King Ahab, Israel has actually moved backwards from their time of success at the conquest. But it also looks forwards to a new conquest where Elisha will become the successor of Elijah and will leave the sons of the prophets into taking the land back and also seeing them repent and come to worship the God. But it also looks forward in pain that if the people do not repent, what happens at the end of two kings? If you've read ahead, by the end of two kings... Both Israel and Judah have been destroyed and removed from the promised land. So there is a foreshadowing here of the people of God leaving the land and heading towards the east under Babylon. They've been destroyed um, and all that that happens. So it is ominous that Elijah, the great prophet, the great voice of God in that land, is effectively leaving the land at the end of his life. So we get to the next section, Elijah's departure. Verse 9. It says, when they had crossed, Elijah said to Elijah, ask, what shall I do for you before I'm taken from you? And so there's a question here that the, the senior Elijah is, is talking to his men, uh, mentee and he's saying, what do you want from me? And this is reminiscent of 1 Kings. If you've read from the beginning of 1 Kings, there's this famous bit where so, uh, the Lord comes to Solomon and says, Solomon, what do you want? I'll give you anything. What do you want? And what does famously Solomon ask for? Well, wisdom. I want to be able to lead your people. They're so great, they're so mighty, and through that, God blesses him. And what does Elijah, Elisha, sorry, ask oh, sorry, he says, and Elisha says, please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. Now, what's he talking about here? It's not simply twice as much. Give me, give, me, give me twice as what you've got. There's something more going on here. In the ancient Near East, when um, uh, the, kind of the, the leader of the family died and the inheritance was passed on to the children, the firstborn got double. The firstborn got double. So what Elisha is asking for is saying, I want to be the firstborn after you. I want to be your successor. I want to be the leader, um, effectively, of these sons of the prophets here, the leaders of those who would speak out for God in this place. That's what I want to do. I, I want... 
double of what you got. I want to be that person who follows after you. I see that God's on you. I see what God's done with you. I see that that relationship you have with him, I want that. I want to be your person who comes after you. He wants to walk into the calling um, that's been given to him, that God has called him for. And we've seen him three times when Elijah said, you can, you can opt out of this. Where do you want to go? And Elijah's like, no, I'm sticking through this to the end. And even when Elijah says, what do you want from me, Elisha? What do you want? And I says, I want that calling. I want to walk into it. I want to be your firstborn son. I want to have that inheritance like you've had. And um, if you read through in the book of Two Kings, you can actually play a little game, which is quite fun. And that is, you can see how many miracles Elisha performs. Because depending on how you count it, Elijah's done seven, some people say eight miracles. But if you go forward and look at Elisha's life, depending on how you count it, he's either done 14, uh, 14 or 16. So he actually does twice as many things than um, Elijah does. So there is actually a fulfillment of his request there. And so read through the rest of two things and count all the miracles that Elijah performs. Sorry, Elisha performs. And see if you can get all 14 of them, twice as many as his mentor. Okay, verse 10. It says, and he says, you have asked a hard thing. Yet if you see me as I am taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. So in response to um, the question, Elisha's question, Elijah's saying, sure, you can have that if you remain faithful. If you stick with me, if you keep going with me, if you're with me till the end, then you can have the inheritance that you have asked for. And we go on to verse 11, and it says, And as they went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. Wow, special effects crew working overtime for that one. They'd just been walking, and suddenly, whoo, chariots of fire came down. There was a whirlwind. And so immediately after Elijah had said, yes, you can have it if you remain faithful, Elisha was there at the end, and it says that he was taken up. So the end of Elijah's life was this spectacular as the rest of it, as some of these stories went, I would think it was probably even more spectacular, being swept up with wind and fire and horses and chariot. And once again, this is fascinating, once again, even in Elijah's death, the Lord is proving he's better than Baal. Even death, because they believe Baal was the God of life and death. And even in his death, he didn't really die. God took him to heaven and said, Baal, I've still got one over on you. You can't win. I'm in charge. I control the wind and the rain and the weather, which they thought Baal did. That didn't work because there was a drought for three years. When it came to who can call fire down from heaven, who could fall fire down from heaven? The Lord could. Baal couldn't. Elijah mocked them and said, maybe he's on the loo. Maybe, maybe he can't hear you. No, but even in his death, Elijah is taken by the Lord. And just one more final up yours to Baal saying, you cannot be the most powerful one you are not the ruler of Israel you are not the great God and the imagery there of fire and wind and whirlwind is imagery we find throughout the Old Testament for the presence of God we find in Job 38 where God speaks to Job what does he speak out he speaks out of a whirlwind when God met Elijah on the mountain what was it there was fire when, God had, uh, when Elijah had called down fire from heaven, it was the presence of God was right there. And so this is the presence of God coming and a final vindication of Elijah's life and ministry. And in response to this, it says in verse 12, And Elijah saw it and he cried out, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. 
And he saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and he tore them in two pieces. So there is an outpouring of grief from Elisha in that he calls him my father, which is an indication of their relationship. It's basically he saw himself as a son and he saw Elijah as his mentor, as his father, his spiritual parent. And the loss of that would have been huge for him. Like, he's gone. This person we've looked to, this person who we've relied upon is no longer there. And he feels that grief. And we see him there. It says, he ripped his clothes, which was a sign of grief, of mourning, of deep, deep pain in his life. And so he wasn't afraid to just express, I don't like this. I know it's what God has done. And God is behind it, and God is good, and God is powerful, but actually it causes me great pain in this process, in this loss, and there's nothing wrong with showing that. And then he makes this odd comment in the middle there. It says, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. The chariots of Israel and its horsemen. Now, this is interesting because what he's saying, for a ruler at the time, a king... If you had chariots and horsemen, it meant you were powerful. It meant you were strong. It was a symbol of military might and authority. With that, you could then rule your nations. You could subdue other nations or you could protect from invasion. So it was a symbol of power and authority. And Elisha attributed that to Elijah, which is odd when you think about it because Elijah spent most of his time on his tod. He didn't have any chariots or any horsemen. Who did? the kings of Israel, and they were not nice people. But Elisha says of Elijah, he was the one where true strength and power and authority was found. Not with the king, not with him and his armies and his dodgy wife. No, the true power and authority in Israel resided with Elijah because he was a prophet of the Lord. The presence of God was on him. That's where power lay. Not with kings and palaces, but with a man who was dedicated to following the Lord and being faithful to him. And ironically, if you look forward to 2 Kings 13, on the death of Elisha, the king at the time says what? When Elisha dies, he says exactly the same thing. The chariots of Israel and its horsemen. He recognizes the power of God rests in its prophets, those ones who speak the word of God. And it was the same for Elisha, just like it had been for Elijah. And so, read on, last sort of section, it says, And he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? When he struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and the other, and Elisha went over. Now, when the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho saw him opposite them, they said, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. So Elijah is gone, taken up into heaven. And the only thing remains is his cloak, which is what he was known by, his mantle. When uh, we saw last week, when they described, the, the messengers described, who came to you? The king said, who came to you? And so there was this dude in this hairy cloak, and he immediately, that's Elijah. He knew who it was. And so Elisha has taken this up. He comes back to the Jordan, and he prays. He cries out, where is the Lord God of Elijah? Because Elijah's gone. It's almost like, is God gone? Is there no God now in Israel? Now his servant has gone. What's going to happen? What do we do? And he says he took, takes up the cloak, And he hits the Jordan and it parts. 
So even though Elijah, the servant of the Lord, the faithful prophet, has been removed from the situation, God is still working. God is still here. God is still working um, on his people. And he rests on Elijah. So the same spirit that rests on Elijah, now it rests on Elisha. And we get the sons of the prophet, those 50 guys and girls who were just wandering along. They've noticed. They see this. They see them part the river and go one way. And then they see only one come back and part the river. And it's Elisha. So they know Elijah's gone. And they proclaim that the same spirit is here. The same God is still with us. He now rests on Elisha. He's now the successor. He's the one who's going to be the first one. He's the one who's going to be the leader. And he's been raised up to take his place. And what we have with the parting of the Jordan and Elisha coming through is the author set it up for a new conquest of the land. Because God's servant has come back into Israel and he's going to take the message of God and proclaim the good news of God throughout Israel. And if you carry on reading through two kings, you will see Elisha about his ministry doing that. But we, as we've been focusing on Elijah, we're going to stop there and not do that. And this is the end of our series looking at his life. So let's do a few bits of application and then we'll finish. A few bits of application. A couple of things I just want to highlight for us today. First one, Elijah finished well. Elijah finished well. Elijah followed the Lord to the end. He did not give up. He did not quit. He did not throw in the towel. He kept going. And he saw in his life some incredible, amazing things with the the provision by the ravens who brought him food at the brook and he drank from the brook and then God took him up to Zarephath and he saw that miraculous provision of food there that would not only feed him but the widow and her son and then the son widow's son died and he saw the son raised from the dead first time in scripture someone who was dead was raised and it was Elijah was the one who prayed he saw the the showdown on Mount Carmel when there was what 450 enemy prophets there and just him and the fire of God fell from the heavens and he was proved right and he was proved victorious and then we saw he met the God on the mountain the Mount Horeb and he saw the presence of God and he was part of that he confronted kings and spoke to them and he saw his words come to pass he did some incredible things but he also faced some really hard difficult things loneliness hardship opposition he faced death threats people trying to kill him chase him out of the land He was in despair at times, so low where he just said, I'm so low and so kind of done, so exhausted that I just want to die. He was was at that kind of pit, that place, yet he did not quit. He did not slow down. He did not put his feet up. He was vigorous right to the end of his life. Quite literally, his last step, he was still following the Lord and then the chariot came and took him. And he is an incredible example of someone who faithfully follows the Lord regardless of what life throws at him. And his life was far from easy, but he considered the Lord to be a greater treasure than anything that the world could offer him. Safety, security, comfort. He thought, no, God is more important than all of those things. And his faithfulness was key to his well-being, key to his key to him going and following the Lord and it throws down a challenge to us as believers how are you going are you still going strong following the Lord are you still pursuing the Lord faithfully has age 
hardship, trials, hurts, life in general got you down? Because we've had a lot of that over the last two years, haven't we? (laughs) Plus just other things of life that come in. It's been tough. It hasn't been easy. But our calling as men and women of God is to keep going, keep being faithful. And I don't know if you, about you, if you ever thought about the end of your life and what's going to happen then. And I, I've thought about it. I haven't thought about the end. I've thought about the bit that happens after the end. And I've, I've kind of prayed about this and thought about it. And I've always been struck by the ta- parable of the talents in Matthew 25. And we looked at that, I think just last year as a church, we did our series on, on parables. And they were, they were all given something, they were all given some stuff, and they had to use it. And those who did use it and invested in the kingdom of God and got a return, what did the master say? He said, well done, good and faithful servant. And I've prayed, and I've prayed, and I've, I wanna, I've, I've tried to make a commitment to myself. I want to live a life that when I get to the bit after the end... And I open my eyes and I see my Savior. I want the first words out of his mouth to be, well done, good and faithful servant. Come and enjoy your father's inheritance. And so, and it's a challenge to us. How are we going to keep going? And if you're a believer here, I imagine that's true for you. You want that kind of affirmation. You want to live a life that honors the Lord. And that begs the question for us, how are we living in this season now? How are you doing? How have you been going over the last 18 months, which we all know has been difficult for us? Now, we know because of Jesus' death and resurrection, his ascension into heaven, sending the Spirit on us and promise to come back one day, that our future is secure. We know that. We know that. We don't have to earn that. But in light of that, we have a calling to live well while we're here. Not because we're going to earn anything, but in response to what he has done for us in response of worship and all those things that we give to the Lord. And so give yourself a quick kind of spiritual health check. How are you doing in your Bible reading and prayer? You're part of being part of the corporate fellowship of God in our big meetings, our small meetings. Corporate prayer, financial giving, forgiving others, serving one another, sharing the good news, praying for the sick. How are you doing? Or are there time, places where you've given into laziness and selfishness and hurt and despair, and disillusionment, and despondency. And over the last two years, they're all really real. And I know I've had to battle with them on many, many occasions. But in this season, we need to make some wise choices. We need to keep following after God, keep being, um, being committed to him. Because effectively, we're like in the position of Elisha, where Elijah's saying, do you want to just stay here, or do you want to keep going with me? And like Elisha, we have to make a choice. Are we going to keep going, or are we just going to stay here where it's a bit easier? I'll just stay here. You go on ahead without me. Or are we going to keep going with him? Which brings us to our second point I want to highlight. The same Holy Spirit that dwelt on Elijah and Elisha dwells in us. The same Holy Spirit that was on those two is also on us. In the Old Testament, if you read through, you find the Holy Spirit coming. But the Holy Spirit comes on certain individuals at certain times in certain places for certain roles. But what we also find in the Old Testament is a longing, a looking forward to, that one day the Spirit will be pulled out on all God's people. 
And even here from Moses, says that, my heart, my desire is that all of God's people will have his spirit. All of them will be able to prophesy. All of them will be able to speak the word of God and truth to others. And we know because Jesus came, he died, he rose again, he ascended into heaven. And before he went, he said, guess what, guys? I'm going to send another one to you. One who will be with you forever. One who will be like me, but he will be with you all the time. And we find in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit is then poured out on the church. All of them. They're all praying in the upper room and it falls on all of them. No difference. No kind of higher or lower. Everyone got a measure of the Holy Spirit. And so we, as the church now, New Testament believers, we are the dwelling place of God. God lives in us. God lives with us. We have the Holy Spirit and we are called to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to keep being filled says in Ephesians, be filled, but keep being filled with the Holy Spirit. And when we're meant to be men and women full of the Spirit. And the same God who worked through Elijah can work through us here and now. So, but we're not, we aren't Elijah's as such. We don't have that particular calling and we don't live in ancient Israel. But where we find ourselves now, wherever you find ourselves, in your homes and your workplaces and your social groups, you are the Elijah there. You are the voice of God in that place, empowered by the Holy Spirit to serve him. You're the one there who proclaims truth against injustice. You're the one who gets to pray for the sick and, and see God's kingdom break out. You're the one who can pray for provision, miraculous provision in people's lives. You're the one who can pray truth against falsehood. You're the one who can stand up and see God's kingdom break out. You're the one who can face hardship and endure if you're the only believer there, because God's spirit was with you and he will hold you and carry you through it. We are men and women full of the spirit and we've been called to live that life wherever God has placed us. And so even when life is tough, we have the spirit with us who can keep us going. Even when life is good and things are, are working out, the Holy Spirit is still with us, calling us, using us at that time. And so wherever you find yourself now, wherever you're thinking, do you know what? You know, life's tough, life's difficult. I want to pray for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. If you're thinking life's good, I want to be praying for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit, that you will keep going serving the Lord. That when the, the kind of the, the question comes, do you want to stay here or do you want to keep going? You answer like Elijah. Elisha, sorry. The other one. Yes, I'm going to keep going. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. And if you're not a believer here, I want to just pray that you come to know Jesus for yourself. That you know he is who he said he was. Because Jesus is a better Elijah. Jesus is the great prophet. Jesus didn't just part a river. He parted the way to life through his death. And welcomed all and said, all can come. All can come and know me and have life. He went to glory and he said, I'm going to come back and take all of you to glory with me. All my children, all my family. And one day... He will come back in glory to judge all mankind. And so my heart is today that we would be men and women full of the Spirit, that you would know God for yourself. And I'm just going to pray um, now to finish that time. So maybe you want to stand up, shed a layer, because we're going to move a little bit. <laughs> just want to say, if you sit at the front, it is colder, because the door's open there. So those who are a bit further back, nearer the radiators, that's a good, good choice in our current season. But now make a better choice. Pray for God to come and fill you. So, maybe you want to close your eyes. Open your hands.
and just reflect some of the things that we've looked at today. How are you doing? Maybe you want to just start by just telling God how you're doing. He already knows, but it's, it's good to tell him. Has it been tough? Where's it been tough? How's it been tough? What are you struggling with? What are you finding difficult? If there are things you know you need to get right with him, maybe just talk to him about those things. And I'm just going to pray that the Holy Spirit would come and fill you. And I'm confident in God that he will pour out the Spirit on those who want it, those who believe in it, those who love him and trust him. We're not trying to beg him. We're saying, God, just give us your good gifts. And he freely gives that. And that same Holy Spirit that was on Elijah and then on Elisha is here with us right now. He's been with us all morning. And he dwells in his people and he loves his people. And he wants to know his people and be with them. And so, Holy Spirit of God, I pray you come fill us now. That we'd be men and women of God who follow you. Who make the good choices in the tough times. That we would say, we're going to keep going. We're not going to quit. And we would be like Elijah and we would keep going to the end. And whatever this life throws at, throws at us, no matter if we've got years left or decades left, God, we want to be faithful to the end. We want to keep walking with you until we see you face to face. Lord God, and we pray you empower us and fill us that we may live a life that honors you. Help us to make good choices. When we've made bad ones, God, we ask you to just forgive us for those. Forgive us for those. Cleanse us from our sin that we may continue to serve you. Lord God, and empower us for service for your glory. And now, God, fill us for worship. We're going to sing your praises because we love you and we praise you. Not to earn anything back from you, but just to say you are worthy of our praise. And God's people said, Amen. Amen.